Hey guys, got something very different for you today. Our special guest, Anthony Lawson, is zooming in all the way from beautiful New Jersey. But here's what's different about Anthony. It's what he's focusing on, what his real estate portfolio is made up of, and that is group home facilities. So that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the pros, the cons, what they are, because I think we probably all got assumptions, and I'm assuming... Yep. Like most of my assumptions are pretty wrong a lot of the time, Anthony. So I'm going <laughs> to guess that you're going to set me straight on to what are group homes, why you like this investment class, and how it yep. works. So welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thank you, Dave, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Greatly appreciate it. Well, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, Anthony, you are the first gentleman I've had on the podcast, I believe, mm -hmm. where we're going to be talking really, really exclusively about group homes. So first of all, what is your definition of a group home? And are, are there more than one kind? And are you involved in different kinds? What, what does group home mean to you? Yes, absolutely. So group homes, just so that everyone knows, is a congregate shared living setting with unrelated people. It can be with a mental health space. A commonly known form of a group home is assisted living facility. Everyone yeah. knows what that is. But, you yeah. know, your targeted demographic is just strictly seniors, you know, elderly in a in that population, you're focusing more on people with cognitive health disorders, um, all times of dementia. Then you have other group homes that focus on mental health. You have some that focus on uh, sober living facilities. You have some that focus on a halfway house, you know, kind of style for people that's coming out of the incarceration system that need housing, mm -hmm. you know, so they can find long-term housing. So it's different kinds of group homes that you can focus on. And they all kind of, you know, congregate under that one, you know, shared living setting in the house or a commercial building. And then that's typically higher end. They could be licensed or you know unlicensed. We'll talk further about that. Yeah, no, for sure. So how did you get into this type of business slash real estate investment in the first place, Anthony? Yes, yes, yes. It all started well, about seven years ago. Um, wow. I'm a veteran myself. So when I was when I was driving off of a highway in New Jersey, I just was at a light and I always say on podcasts, you know, I feel like it was God's calling. Because mm -hmm. I started talking to the gentleman, um, somebody asked for some, some change, some additional help. So I just started talking to him. And then he actually was a uh, two-time tour veteran that served in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I said, man, I wonder if there can be something I can do and create some type of business model. I mean, I'm not a nonprofit. I am a for-profit. So where mm -hmm. I can help people, but then in return, I can help myself as well as in the business. So I started, you know, the first property was literally through FHA. I took the basement and then I shared out the top two uh, um, veterans that was in need. And then it was disabled veterans, you know, and, and I started sharing out the space. And I took the basement and I started seeing that, that it was cash flowing like no other. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so let me, let me get this straight. Yeah. You were driving along. You're, you're a veteran yourself. You're driving yes. along. You bumped into a homeless gentleman. Yep. You started the conversation. You realized he was a fellow vet. I yep. was having a hard time. Okay. So how do I help people out, make a good buck at the same time? Yep. And then you just jumped in yet was, so that was your existing home that you did this with, or did you went out and bought a property to, to do this with? You know, it's funny because I was actually under contract while I was in, it was just a giant single family home. It was six okay. beds, uh, six bed, two bath. And I was, I was on the contract. I didn't really want to do Airbnb at the time. And I didn't want to do um, like one family. So yeah. I, I was like, this is like a perfect mix because I always want to do something where I can make a change in the community. 
and I can do something where I can create a big, a good business model. Yeah. So then that's when I started, you know, talking to that gentleman and he had a VA disability, but it's just, he couldn't afford anywhere. Right. He was bouncing around to, from shelter to shelter. People don't realize that, right. you know, we, if you're in a homeless shelter, a lot of people have income in homeless shelter. That's usually SSI, SSDI and veteran uh, disability income. Mm-hmm. So he had veteran disability income, but it wasn't enough. And everyone knows, you know, New Jersey. Yeah, it wasn't enough for him to rent a studio apartment or or yep. anything like that. So yep. he's bouncing around, but yep. it would be enough for him to rent a, a room in a home yep. like what you had. Okay. So, Absolutely. so I, again, I'm just trying to get my head around this. You already own the house. You were already living yes, in the I house. Closed, yes, I closed on the property. I took the basement. You took the basement. All right. So you right. moved into the basement and you had six bedrooms upstairs or you had a yes. four bedroom. Yeah. Yep, six, six beds upstairs. Wow, that's a big. That is a big house. All right. <laughs> so this guy was your first customer, yep. so to speak, your first yep. resident. All yes. right, and the, and then so w- w- it sounded like you're at the beginning, Anthony. You're kind of just kind of gunslinging this, figuring it out as you went along. So you brought this guy in, and then how did it progress into an actual business from there? I find this fascinating. Yeah, because, you know, I learned a lot during the way, you know, and I can't say I'm blessed that it wasn't costly mistakes. So, um, you know, I I formulated this because I was like, you know, I started looking at the the people I was helping. I started looking at the revenue that was coming in. So I was like, you know, what if I can lease the next property? Because in the same token, I was just transitioning out of um, actually working in W2 Mm -hmm. and I was doing wholesaling. So, um, you know, I was still doing that at the time. So I was really hustling. And I was like, man, this is pretty cool. What if I can lease the next property instead of having a huge down payment? Right. So I, I did a lease. I did a very creative thing. It was like a rolling month to month. The owner, he, you know, he said a, like a crazy number where I thought I could never lease at that price. But what he allowed me to do, I got very creative, was in a, in a different part of the city of New Jersey. Yeah. Um, it's about 20, maybe 25 minutes from where my other property was. Um, I started doing couples out of rehab. That was coming out of rehabilitation center. You started doing what? Sorry. Start housing couples coming out couples. of rehabilitation. Yes. Okay. So yep. typically man and wife type or yep. boyfriend, girlfriend type situation. Yep. Both Absolutely. were in rehab together. Both yes. coming out of rehab together. Interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So then from there, you know, and, and and not only that they was coming out, they actually had employment. You know, maybe okay. it was a minimum wage or above a minimum wage job, but they were just trying to get back on their feet. Right. But no one will rent to them because their credit was bad and all, you know, and the history right. that comes along with it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I said, I said, okay. I started, I asked the landlord with his consent, can I drop a wall? And can I, uh, you know, just let me do what I do. I pay you 2400 plus the utilities. He said, okay, that's amazing. So I dropped the wall and I started doing couples. And it was 950 a room with the couple. So it was not and, and how five. many how many rooms were there in that property? It was originally a three two three bedroom two bath, but it was he had like a den where you could create a bedroom. Okay. So I dropped the wall and I created another uh, two additional rooms, so to speak. So that was uh, five bedrooms two bath. So that was nine fifty plus the top, and he had an apartment on the bottom. So I Airbnb the bottom of the basement. <laughs> okay, now yeah, sorry, sorry, I keep bouncing back and forth here, my friend. So at this point. Yeah. You got the house you're living in. Yes. You're in the basement suite. You got six. Are Were they all veterans in that house that were living upstairs or mostly? No. So the first property was all veterans. This particular yeah. property was. We're all couples. Must all, yep. All couples. Okay. Yep. yep. So I'm, I'm going, I'm bouncing back and forth. So the first couple, first property, all six, six veterans living upstairs, you living downstairs. Yep. Second property, 
all couples coming out of rehab. Yes. You're still at this point full, full on wholesaling. So you're hustling, yep. doing finding deals, doing all this kind of stuff. Yep. What about management? What about interpersonal conflicts? What about challenges around that? What yep. about licensing around that? What any mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff with those first couple of of absolutely homes? Yeah. Absolutely. So the, the, the interesting part is um I wasn't providing any services. I was just providing, you know, the, the brick and mortar real estate. So I yeah. didn't have to have a, a license for that. Okay. You know, and the, the second so thing not is, even like a rooming house type thing, you didn't have to worry about that. Nope, nope. Because nope. the kind of people that you're helping, I tell people it falls under the Fair Housing Act. Um, so enough. the government is actually on your side. And I tell yep. people it's a lot of rules when it comes to the you know type of um, people that you want to help and the niche that you're trying to target because it actually helps you know, versus hinder you. you right. know? And I right. tell people, what, what is the difference from what you're doing versus student housing, right? People just yeah. get a giant house by a college, yeah. rent out the beds or the rooms. There's no difference. It's just that they're helping exactly. college students. Right. So, um, you know, it's the same philosophy. And but with with this kind of model, you actually have the government that you can get. And we can talk more about that later on the call, but you can get grants when you get licensed facilities and all this other stuff. It's amazing. But um with these two particular properties, you know, for the management, what I started realizing is, you know, instead of running back and forth, because you know, I was in my learning stage. Yeah. I said, what if I have like an in-house manager someone I can designate but discount their bed? So I, I did that after a while, I discounted their bed. And had people that report to me. I started putting up cameras on the exterior, you know, in the uh, exterior, and mm-hmm. then the interior. I will only put them up in common areas, which right. is the living room, dining room, kitchen, and uh, that's about it. And then the front entrance way, so the the uh, camera can point towards the entrance doorway. And then uh, you know, it's kind of help help uh, lighten up my light, um, kind of help me lighten up the load. Right. And I was like, you know, this is this is this is good. You know, don't get me wrong. It is it, it came with some challenges. People, you know, not getting along with each other. Well, that's like that. that's what I'm wondering, man. I'm just yeah. thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but, you know, when I first started, I didn't have like a lot of the ho- house rules was like, you know, whatever I mentioned or the house manager mentioned. But now it's like everything is is full on automated that paperwork. You mm-hmm. sign that prior to you entering resident agreements. So it's, it's much more automated now. And then now I have uh, operators, you know, that go around, drive to each location, make sure everything is okay, you know. And um, from there, from that location, it only lasts me about 10 months. This is my downfall with this one because I was making a lot of money, but the landlord did not want to continue because he was saying that it must be something to it if I'm Uh, giving him the 2400 because rent at the time for that location was around 1800 he yeah. told me 2400 but didn't expect for me to like, you know, go through with it. So I was like, man, you know, this is something to it. And I should have locked myself on the lease, but this is the only way I could have done it. Right. So I said, you know what? You can take over the operation, which he agreed to. And we walked away clean. And that was that. But it turns out I saved up a nice chunk of change from those 10 months. And then the first uh, property I had anyway. And then I started doing what's called joint ventures. So uh-huh. I started actually buying locations, telling people what I was doing. And then I had, um, I ran into a couple of uh, parole officers and they was like, you know, we have all these people that, you know, need help and they're coming out of the incarceration system. What can you do? And I said, well, this is what I do. I told them the business model. And then I said, I can house them temporarily and even automate and set them up with nonprofits that can pay me directly until they get, you know, employment. So that's what I started doing. And long story short, I had about 11 halfway houses um, <laughs> right around the, uh, the first location. And then, you know, as the years go by, this is like year four and a half, five, 
I started selling off a lot because New Jersey appreciation is just phenomenal. So uh-huh. I started selling off a lot and just started realizing that after a while, even with those um, 11 halfway houses, after a while, you can actually do two to a room. And I didn't notice at first. So uh-huh. I started doing two people into the room. So like how the couple was, but they was just in one bed. Uh-huh. I actually had two people, two incomes for that one particular room. Wow. And then I started realizing I can do this on the license facility, which I have staff and I have services and my staff pass out the medication. My staff feed the residents and different things like that. And then the income is night and day. I'm talking about on a license one, like I mentioned, I was getting about 950 on the higher end with a couple. And on the license one, you can get anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000 per resident. Wow. That's mind boggling. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. so let me see if I got this straight. You started out with, the vets living upstairs in your house. Yes. Then you leased another facility that you turned into the couples coming out of rehab situation. Yep. Then you heard about the whole idea of halfway houses for people coming out of incarceration. Yes. You started, you learned your lesson from the, the first landlord that kind of screwed yes. you around. <laughs> and then you started buying properties in and around New Jersey still for those, for those 11 uh, yes, New Jersey. Yeah, and and he did those with joint venture partners. So your joint venture yes. partner would come on board, yep. put up the down payment for the the property, the the money for yep. the furnishings. You'd buy the property, you'd run the business and do some sort of a profit share with them from from that. Is that is that correct? correct. That is correct. Absolutely. And he did that for a few years, and then yep. prices went way up in New Jersey, and you cashed out. Yep. And then you started getting into licensed facilities where the income per resident is exponentially higher than yes. what you can charge the resident directly, especially if they're on VA or, or some sort of uh, assistance mm-hmm. type type situation. So what yep. do these new facilities look like? Are they halfway houses? Are they assisted living facilities? What are you, what are you doing now, Anthony? Yeah. So I'm doing a mixture of kind of all of them. So I have um, under contract right now is 62 bed in California. Um, hopefully that's going to close in the next few weeks. We're still in the due diligence phase, mm-hmm. but um, that, and then by the way, California is another a great market. Just so that everyone knows the governor just actually put an approval to uh, bump the increase in the rent per bed. So now majority check these numbers, the, the majority of assisted living in California can now receive 18,000 per Jeez. resident. Oh my God. Yes. This, this was just approved. So I have the paperwork in my email. <laughs> which is <laughs> this stuff is amazing but um i'm doing a little bit of that i have uh four facilities um under contract in detroit so a lot of my inventory is in cleveland and uh um detroit michigan because mm-hmm. the the rent to price ratio is out of this world i mean if i have a resident paying five thousand a per on a on a licensed facility i can probably pick the facility up real estate wise for about 150 200,000. You know, and it's worth three to four times that because you're adding the value through the business portion. Oh, that is that is amazing, my friend. So what does your not not the ones under contract, the ones you actually yep. got on the go right now? What does your portfolio look like at this point, Anthony? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I have 235 beds right now mm-hmm. um, that consist of the mental health space, um, consist of uh, development to disability. Um, sober living. Um, we're working on a big project right now in uh, Cleveland, about 100 beds. So that's um, sober living. And then I have um, assisted living in the portfolio as well. 
So it didn't, some, sometimes throughout the country, they call them different things, like residential care facility or um, adult foster care homes or, you know, different things like that. But that's what my portfolio look like right now. And then by the end of the year, you know, I'm trying to get to a thousand vets by the uh, end of the wow. year, Q4. Yep. That is, that is outstanding for sure. So that's pretty rapid ascension in a short period of time there, Anthony. What, what would you say have been some of your biggest learning experiences going through all of this? That is a very good question. I would say vet out a lot of the joint venture partners. Um, you know, and, and when I first started, you know, it was anyone not, you know, it was anyone that had the money, but wanted to do the deal. Right. And it was like, I should have vetted them out a little bit more, but luckily I haven't had really bad experiences it's just you know now i'm at to the point if i want to make sure synergies are aligned yeah um, goals are aligned and um i really enjoy what i do so i love helping the residents well, and then the well, income comes second let's let's back that up for a second if you don't mind so let's talk yeah. about the joint ventures that yeah. you've done so far mm-hmm. um the first few you mm-hmm. know what did they kind of look like who first of all you know, not without giving names, but who were the people yes. that you're doing joint ventures with? What were they bringing to the table? And if you're open to what, what kind of a, a profit share were you doing with them? And then fast yep. forward to now that you've, you've kind of learned the ropes with joint ventures, yep. and I know you're, you're creating a fund and everything, but yep. now if you were doing a joint venture, what would it compare and contrast what it would look like now? Yeah, absolutely. So back then it was just, um, for example, a lot of mine was 60-40. Um, where the partner was uh, taking 60%, I was taking the 40%, but I wasn't of, doing of no the money net. down. Of the net, yes. Wow. But I was doing a no money down. Um, so in my mind back then, I was like, okay, you know, it's pretty decent. You know, I'm not coming in with any capital, but I'm doing a lot of operational. Versus fast forward now, it's either 50-50 or I have majority of the state. Usually I have majority of the state. Usually it's the opposite. So now it's about 60 for myself and 40 for them. That's what I would, that's what I would think because yeah. because yeah. even at 60 40 their yeah. cash on cash return must be it's just ridiculous stupid yeah, yeah it just yep. amazing yeah holy smokes <laughs> yes, okay. yes yes and, and then you're talking a little bit about some of the challenges you had early on with yes. alignment of values what yes. what do you mean by that yeah so the alignment of values was back then and I'm gonna say back then versus now yeah so back then you know, and I wish I would have asked those qualifying questions like, hey, you know, what, what are your goals? What are you looking towards? You know, what kind of asset types are you are you doing? You know, um, instead of just saying, OK, do you have the capital? OK, this is the asset that I'm doing. This is what I love to do. This is how we can do it. Here's your ROI, you know, different things like that. So not necessarily based off numbers, but making sure we actually are helping the people because I put programs in place to make sure people can re-enter back into society with nonprofits and different things like that. So that was then, now I'm, I'm asking a lot more qualifying questions. You know, what do you want to do? You know, where are you at with your goals? This is what I do. This is how long I've been doing it. Here's my track record. You know, um, here's the vibe I'm bringing to the table. So I get it. You're bringing money, but I can bring money as well because my fund can bring the capital and mm-hmm. I can bring the capital myself and know the operations. So, you know, it's a lot more than just um, capital now. So I'm asking a lot more of those qualifying questions. Do you actually just want, you know, do you care just more about the ROI or are you okay with, you know, just say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm all in it for the residents as well too. Let's make sure we can get them, you know, back into society with some programs because that's what I really care for as well too. So so were, so were you getting some pushback from some of those early JV partners 
because you wanted to do a few things, but that was going to lower their cash on cash returns. Yes. So pushing That's back bingo. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Some essential service. And you know, it's crazy now that I'm, I'm looking back at it. It's not even like their ROI would be significantly reduced because no. it would still be much more versus regular multifamily. But it, but it was, it would be a little bit less than what they were accustomed to getting. Yes. That's, that yep. was the trick. So yeah, that was, that was the challenge. So what were some of the, just to, again, I'm just finding this fascinating. Yeah. What were some of the, the things that you were wanting to do and mm-hmm. how much would that have cost, you know, yeah. off the top every month that, that, that they didn't like? Yeah. So when I first started, like I said, in-house managers, but you still need to have like an operator to right. make sure that you can check on in-house managers and, you know, bounce around these locations. Yeah. Personally, me, myself, you know, and, and like my mentor said to me, you know, you want to make sure you can work on a business and not in it yeah. and making sure what is your highest and best due diligence mm-hmm. of your own self. So I started, you know, this was a couple of years ago and I was like, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, be the one to run around. I can't scale by doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you it's all about scale and how you can systematize things. So right. that was another issue because with scaling comes, you know, uh, re- with me replacing myself comes hiring somebody. Yeah. You know, so that, you know, the, the kind of the NOI dips a little bit, but yeah, um, you got to pay them. No. A, you weren't paying yourself a salary. Exactly. You were, you were getting your share of the profit, yeah, the right? Yeah. Now you're hiring a manager, but there has to be a salary getting paid. That's right. going to take a nip out of the gross revenues. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I was explaining yeah. that to him, if he was doing a multifamily or any other asset class, you would have a property manager regardless. Yeah. So, um, you know, but I think when people see the numbers on paper initially, they don't think about the smaller stuff. And then I wanted to do more things of more community involvement, you know, um, let nonprofits know what I was doing. And, you know, if they wanted to come on site and different things like that, but there was, it was some, it was kind of strange because there was some pushback on that. Like, Hey, you know, Hmm. more people in your business, you know, it's not good for real estate. I'm just like, this business doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Actually, the more it's exposure a you have, yes, there you go. It's a people's business. So the more exposure you have, the more you can receive because the nonprofits, caseworkers, or even the community is your targeted demographic. They are to be the ones that send you people. And trust me, exactly. it's a large influx of people that need help. So now with your newer joint ventures, Anthony, mm-hmm. how are you... How are you structuring things? Are you are you just kind of showing people projections of ROI already taking out a certain amount for management fees, also taking a certain amount off the top for these kind of extra type things that you want to do? So there shouldn't be any any hassles further down the road. Plus, in your joint venture agreements, are you pretty much saying, hey, I'm the operator here. You're putting up the cash, you're putting up the credit perhaps, but I'm running the show and I'll yep. report to you, but you're not, you know, you're not yes. really directly involved in the day-to-day. Is, is that Absolutely. how it works now? Yeah. Yes. And it's funny because I was doing a deal in Cleveland where um, I was, luckily we made it work with seller financing, which by the way, this industry is not uncommon to get seller financing. So, um, and I got an agreement called a facility investor agreement. This was from Celtics Bank. I can say the bank because this agreement has been magical for me, which they gave me an agreement. They said, listen, if you have LPs, this is what we need you to sign. This is when I was trying to do an SBA loan. But the mm-hmm. you know the seller was like, hey, I don't want to wait that long. So they decided to hold a note for two years. 
But um, um, I got the agreement and ever since then, I started using that agreement. And then and, and I kind of tailored it to what I had already, but it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. It came from the bank, you know? So it's, <laughs> <laughs> there's no better use of it. Yeah. So, and it says, it says everything from, you know, this LLC will be doing this, 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 and that. This person has no control in the stake, but this is what you're going to do. You're going to put up the capital. This is how much you're going to put in. This is how long you will stay in for. You will get the books on these days, but if it's a profit loss, you're going to accept the loss. It says everything in there that you need. Nice. There you go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Would, would have been good to have early on, but you got to learn these things <laughs> as you go. Right. That's, that's all. So, so if you had to get rid of or exit out some of your earlier joint venture partners, because it just wasn't working or are you, are you just making it work for those, for those folks? So that's where I sold a lot of locations. We just uh, agreed to sell. Only yeah. because, and then it makes sense anyway. I said it wasn't working with them so much, and then the appreciation was phenomenal in New Jersey. Phenomenal. Yeah. So they're they're getting a nice pop of cash anyhow, right? So yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And and also too, um, uh, some of those I did buy out partners, or they just bought me out, and I say good luck. You know, if you can right. run it, hey, more power to you. <laughs> you know, but uh, <laughs> that's how I work. Yeah. Interesting yeah. stuff. No, that's absolutely fa fascinating, Anthony. Well, thank you very, very much for kind of opening up our eyes to the the potentials and the possibilities of of group home facilities, yeah. um, the the pros. What are, we've talked a lot about the upside. We talked a little bit mm -hmm. about the downside working with yeah. uh, with joint venture partners. You've got that dialed in now as well. Yeah. Are there any downsides to the business itself that you've seen after all these years of of being very very involved? Yes, yes. I would say, you know, one of the downsides, um, but it's all about how you look at things. But I can say it can be a downside to some people, which is if you have a licensed facility, it's staff. You know, it's a staff is shortage in any industry, though, whether mm -hmm. it's fast food, healthcare, you know, but it is a staff and shortage. So what I do to combat that, I offer a lot of incentives, you know, um, you know, and I incentivize people, hey, if you do this, you know, you hit that goal, you'll get this bonus, you know, or, or I let my operators know, hey, if the facility look like this or we pass, you know, this is what a, a bump in your salary will look like. And then half of my operators do get um, five to 10 percent of equity, you know, and I give them sweat equity because it incentivizes them versus them managing another right. facility. Now they get equity in one. Who's Smart. are they going to work harder for? Mine. So yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, I started thinking about all this stuff throughout the years to get really creative, especially with this economy right now and the climate of people not want to, you know, not actually want to work. So, you know, this has been working for me pretty good. And oh, then I will great. also, I will also say too. Um, you said what is another challenge? I will, I will always say too, just, just the people itself, right? And I, and I always say your own self can be the challenge because with me, I think my challenge in the very beginning too was um, I can't help the world, mm -hmm. you know. So with some clients that I kind of took on because um, it sounded good at first, but then I started realizing it's not going to work with with the rest of the residents that's there. Mm. So now I don't, I don't do that at all. You know, I learned that very early on, like year two. <laughs> so, you know. So, so what do you do to avoid that challenge? I mean, now you're yeah, pretty much out of the bit. You're not dealing yeah. with the individual residents yourself very much anymore, right. but when you still were, how did you, how did you manage not getting your heartstrings tugged? Cause you <laughs> seem like you're a very sensitive kind of guy. That's what got you into this business in the first place. There's got to be some heart wrenching stories. How do you oh, turn somebody lot. away? Uh, turn somebody away if they're not going to be a good fit for you. But I always remember, you know, I can't help everybody, but I can help the ones that want to help themselves. 
Yeah. You know, and and that's what really helped me because um early on, like, you know, caseworker or someone say, Hey, this is who I have. I'm like, okay, you know, what kind of employment do they have? Or are you paying? Because some organizations can pay on their behalf, but you want to make sure it's an additional step from where the um the caseworkers or, or nonprofit, whoever they're sending you to, if they can't pay anymore, how would that person still be able to pay you? And it was some instances where, you know, you know, you don't know what you don't know in the beginning. Right. Where I took some people and they couldn't pay on the back end. So I had to, you know, kind of recycle that with a uh, new uh, clientele. So, right. you know, now I just, it's just simply, you know, how are you going to pay back then? What kind of, you know, employment you're working on? What, you know, what are those additional steps are you working with this particular program to help you get back on your feet? So a lot of, the, just let everybody know, a lot of the organizations I work with now are what's called HUD approved organizations. People don't know or only think that HUD is only in the Section 8 space, but they're not. Mm. HUD will actually pay you per bed or per room. You know, and it's a lot of HUD approved nonprofit organizations throughout the country. So I usually deal with a lot of them because you don't have to worry about payment. And then mm. from there, um, you know, they actually vet the person out before they even get to you. Wow. And if it doesn't work, then you will let them know and they will recycle that client. So it's wow. actually a lot easier. Yeah, much easier. Yep. Yep. Fascinating stuff. Anthony, congratulations on this thriving business you've created from scratch just a few short years ago and, and yep. how you're expanding and just, you know, doing really well by doing a lot of good. So I, my hat's off to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. And if anybody wants to connect with you, what's the one place they can go to, to find out all things Anthony Lawson? Yes, yes, yes. So I would say go to Instagram. I'm very active on social media. And that's Anthony underscore the investor. Say that again. Instagram is Anthony underscore the investor. LinkedIn is just my first and my last name, Anthony Lawson. And Facebook is my first and last name as well, Anthony Lawson. Very good. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Anthony. Absolutely. Thank you, Dave, for having me. My pleasure. All right, everybody. Take care and talk to you on the next episode.